4 and verse number 18. If you're taking notes, you could jot down the title, Moses Gets to Know the Lord. What greater privilege could there be for little people like, the, like us than to get to know the Lord, the one great and awesome God of the heavens? Amen? Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to learn with Moses this morning as Moses gets to know Jehovah, Yahweh, El Elyon, El Shaddai, right? As he gets to know God better. Okay, Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Father, we just want to, um, well, I want to say amen to what our brother already prayed. And then just for my part, I just want to lay this time at your feet. Uh, would you please specifically um, cause us by your wonderful grace to get to know you? Um, you are not obligated to reveal yourself to us, and yet you are a God that desires love relationship. You have lived in a love relationship within your own Godhead for all of eternity past. Unhindered, unbroken love relationship. That must just be amazing and delightful. The part that we have come to experience is amazing and delightful. The, the fact that every believer in Jesus Christ around this circle this morning has been invited into, brought into an eternal love relationship with a perfect, admirable, awesome God, um, how could we ever get over such things? So we pray that by your grace that you would open our eyes this morning and that walking away from here today, we would know God better than when we came this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. So we started, we started a couple days ago um, noticing uh, the very beginning of Moses' life. Uh, Moses became something. Um, in Egypt, um, I do want you to notice, I didn't say this the other day, but I want you to notice like how much God cares about Moses being a big deal in Egypt. Did everybody notice that? Or did anybody notice that? I didn't say anything about it, right? But how much time does God give in Scripture to Moses being a big deal in Egypt? Yeah, like, like nothing, basically. I mean, you can see these tiny little hints, right? Like he was in the line to like Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, right? So he's in that line. And then Josephus, like a, a, a reliable historian, records it for us in the antiquities of the Jews, right? So you can read about it in reliable history that Moses was a military leader, that he was famous, you know, um, all, you can read about all these things, but God doesn't care hardly at all that Moses was a big deal in Egypt. That, that helps us to get to know the Lord right there. And then um, we noticed that Moses went from 40 years in Egypt, and then he was going to spend 14,600 days in the desert. He learned to be a servant. Yeah, we will never accomplish anything for God if we don't learn to be a servant. He learned to trust God. Can you imagine 14,600 days? He learned to trust God in the desert, and he learned to obey God. And then that leads us right into those excuses that we looked at yesterday. Um, 
Like he was finally called. Okay, now Moses, you became something, you became nothing, and now now you're ready. Like I have prepared you, and he calls Moses. Now I'm going to send you to the most powerful person on planet Earth, the most important person, like the person that's revered as a god by his people, Pharaoh. I'm going to send you. And of course, Moses uh, starts with his excuses. Um, He says, um, who am I? And God says, I will certainly be with you. And I I do want to verbally underline this. Um, Yeah, I hope that the Spirit of God just sears this on our hearts and that we never forget it. Like, Caleb, I know it's no fun to be pointed out in front of everybody. But man, I sat there this morning looking over these things, just like thinking of you and Anna. Like, you are launching out in the calling that God has given you, right? That is exactly what we're seeing in Moses' life. And I was looking at these assurances. I will certainly be with you. Like, I guarantee you, and I know you guys know this, but I guarantee you hardship, right? Like, I guarantee you bad days. (laughs) I guarantee you days where it'll be so tempting to go back to, to what you had before and to remember all those things. Like, I guarantee all of that for any person that will follow God. I guarantee you those days, right? And so I, I earnestly pray that the Holy Spirit of God will sear the response of God on our hearts. I will be with you and you are guaranteed victory, right? Now, we have to properly understand that. If you read into that your own will, like if Caleb is saying, okay, what I, what I claim in God's presence is that, is that the new assembly in Phoenix will become the Willow Creek of North American assemblies, right? If that's what he's saying, then that is not guaranteed victory. Amen? Yeah, like if you're reading your will into this journey, you are not guaranteed victory. But if you're honestly, humbly, dependently saying thy will be done, and yes, I don't know what it'll all look like, and I don't know the difficulties or the joys and the victories of the journey, I'm going forth in absolute dependence upon God. If that's what we're saying, we're guaranteed victory. Why? Because thy will be done on earth, and God is really good at pulling off his will. Amen? Yeah, I mean, he's really, really good at that. In fact, we have absolute scripture, right? He will not fail. That says that of the Messiah of Israel, prophetically. He will not fail, nor be discouraged. Jesus Christ will accomplish that which he puts his mind to. Oh, we should be radically confident in our God. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, enough for that. But yeah, I just, this is so good. Like, we should never forget the assurances of God. Of course, then Moses, he carries on, um, and he says, well, you know, what if I don't know an answer to a question? God says, you don't have to defend me. You just have to represent me and tell them I sent you. And then Moses says, suppose they don't believe me. They don't want to listen to me. That's a real issue. Uh, if you're going to leave the cave, um, and if you're going to launch out for God, that's a real issue, right? Like, that would occur to any servant of God. Like, what if the people of God don't listen to me? What if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? Like he goes on in the story to say, I don't know your God, right? I'm not going to let the people go. So it's a very legitimate question. And the Lord's answer is, what do you have in your hand? Um, In other words, I'll, I'll give you all the evidence you'll ever need. Then Moses says, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I don't have the skills that it would, you would, that you would think a person would need. And God says, obey, right? Go. And as you go, I will equip you. Um, man, if you don't launch out from the cave, um, it's a sad life that you end up living, isn't it? Yeah. How many Christians never launch out from the cave? And I know I'm mixing speakers. I'm doing that on purpose. Yeah. 
but but seriously, and I know I'm not smart enough to know the percentage, but how many Christians um, let these excuses keep them from the victories of God? It would be a lot, wouldn't it? It would be a lot. Yeah, it would be a lot. How many times in my life have I let these excuses keep me from the victories of God? It would be a lot. Like, I think I would agree with Peter when he says we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Like, enough wasted time. Yeah, this is so instructive. Yeah, so instructive. And then finally, Moses just says, look, couldn't you just send somebody else? And the Lord gets angry. Um, Yeah, Moses' self-will. Our self-will would anger the Lord, too. Yeah, he's righteous. Yeah, it's amazing, though. He, um, he's not Santa Claus. Yeah, North America likes the Santa Claus Jesus, right? The, the loving side, the, the kind side, the generous side, the, the one that gives people things for nothing. Um, North America likes the Santa Claus Jesus, right? But the real biblical Jesus, we're going to see that more and more as we go through today's text. The one that, that is equally holy in his love and in his wrath, in his salvation and in his judgment. Um, That's the biblical God. Yeah, the God that we heard about last night that would wipe out the earth with a flood because man only did evil continually. Um, Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay, so Moses gets to know the Lord. Exodus chapter 14. I want you to notice one thing, and then we're going to have three points today. This is not point number one, but I want you to notice something that is super important here. In verse number 18, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses has been called now, right? He's been called by God. And notice what the meekest man on the earth, the humblest man on the earth, notice how he conducts himself. Like young people in the audience, this is incredibly instructive. I I pray that you will be called to great things in your lives, right? When you are called to great things, how should you conduct yourself? Well, this answers that. Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go. And so I would just, if you're taking notes, write down authority and submission. When he receives the call of God, he instantly, um, he instantly goes to his authority and he requests, right? Please let me go. Now, of course, you could launch off into a big discussion and it would all be hypothetical. Like Jethro does let him go. But like, what if Jethro said no? Like then you have God saying, let him go. And Jethro says no. The biblical answer to that is trust God. Right? Keep submitting. Keep trusting God. Um, yeah, and I know I'm being a bit simplistic and surface level with that. But this is a clear nod to authority. In October 2016, the Lord um, called Lynn and I to leave in a moment. Called, the Lynn, called Lynn and I, which we, he had been preparing us for years. Years of prayer. Years of a holy discontentment, right? Not a fleshly discontentment, but a holy unsettledness, like knowing the Lord was preparing us for something. And then in a moment, um, he called us. It was time to leave Topeka. And we had no idea where we were going. We had no idea what we would be doing. Um, But he called us and then he confirmed it. Like I didn't write it down at that point. I didn't think to write it down. I remember it was Deuteronomy. 
um, but he confirmed it like six or seven times through the word of God. And the first thing that we did uh, was run home, uh, call the elders and say, hey, as soon as possible, um, you don't have to call a special meeting, but could you give me a half an hour on the front or the back end of a meeting? And, and I just want to share with you what the Lord has done. And I want to I want to walk through this with you. And I want any and every piece of feedback that you would want to give to this process. Yeah. So that's what Moses does. Right. He runs to his authority and he says, please let me go. Um, so a clear nod to authority. And I just want to say out loud, we believe in uh, God's authority that we must obey God. We're going to see that repeatedly today. And we believe in, in God's authority as given to human institutions, government, the church, the family, right? In submission, like First Peter would call us children of obedience. Like it, it characterizes the believer is that he's a child of obedience and submission. It's a wonderful way to honor God. Okay, point number one in the outline today. God rules in the kingdoms of men. That's point number one. God rules in the kingdoms of men. Now, we haven't even read it yet, right? So we read, we read Moses' call. We read Moses' response. And then let's pick it up in verse number 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Right? So, oh, one more verse. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So God rules in the kingdoms of men. Namely, the Lord tells Moses that, um, that Moses is... Um, it's not going to be an easy road, right? He, he specifically says, um, yeah, forgive me, I'm losing my place. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart, right? So that is such, that is such helpful news on the front end is that, is that um, ah, forgive me. Yeah, okay, I'm going to pray. Let me pray. Father, my brain is, is kind of all over the place, and so I pray that you would help me to focus. Um, I want the Word of God to go out with clarity and with Holy Spirit power. And so, yeah, please help me in this moment, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, um, so he specifically says, I will harden his heart. Now, we could, of course, launch into a great theological uh, difficulty here, and, and I have no desire to do that. Um, if you read through these chapters, then you will find phrases like this, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, you'll find phrases like Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then you'll find phrases, um, phrases like um, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right, And so what I would say, reading through this, right, like you've got the KISS principle of interpretation of Scripture, keep it simple, stupid, like K-I-S-S, -S, right? So what is the simple reading of the Word of God? That it all works together. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Lord hardened his heart. And then it acknowledges the reality that Pharaoh's heart was hard. So it all works together. And of course, the God who dwells outside of time, he knows all things. And so he, um, he says... 
um, Moses, I want you to know ahead of time that this is not going to be an easy road. Uh, Young's literal translation here um, says, and I, I will strengthen his heart and he doth not send the people away, right? So literally, like the Lord is going to do something and, and Pharaoh, it's going to be a difficult journey to get to where, um, where the people are, are set free. Um, for us, those that would follow God, um, this, is, um, this is such good news. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So, like we read scriptures like, don't put your trust in princes. Um, we certainly would never put any confidence in the flesh, right? Our adequacy is from Christ. So we go forward in dependence on the Lord. We don't expect that it's going to be an easy journey, but we have this confidence that our God turns the heart of presidents when, wherever he wishes. Our God turns the heart of pharaohs, even not just presidents of the United States, but pharaohs of the most powerful country on earth at the time, people that are revered, uh, as a God by their people, absolute authority, um, and yet God would turn their hearts, right? He's in complete control. That is such good news uh, for people like us. Notice in verse 20, then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So I just want to highlight this one more time. The rod of Moses that he picked up in the desert. Now it's become the rod of God and he's headed and he's headed into Egypt. Um, more things to notice in this little section. In verse um, 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my, my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son. Two really strong statements. Um, again, young people, I know that this is not a youth conference. This is a, this is a conference for everybody. Um, but yeah, my heart would be so much for the next generation. Uh, young people particularly, and all of us, of course, please, please, please notice. Why did God want Israel to be let out of Egypt? Like hear what he states, that you may serve me. Of course, in other place, he says, I will draw you out unto myself, right? That's relationship. But here, he emphasizes service. So let me say this, let me say this again. Use every age of your life for Christ. That is such a blessed testimony. Like if you are here as a young person, and whatever is in the past, like I'm sure you could say with Peter, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. I'm sure you could say that, right? But from this moment on, you say to the Lord, and you can do this in your seat. You can say, Lord, by grace, I want it to be said at the end of my life when I stand in your presence that from this day forward, by grace alone, that I used every age of my life for Christ, right? So I walked with God, I served him. And he says, like, that he may serve me. And then this second statement, if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son. I just want to encourage us today to put that in your theological box. Like, remember earlier I said that North America is okay with the Santa Claus Jesus, right? Um, but the biblical Jesus is so radically different than this 
this false Christ, this Santa Claus-like figure that, that yes, it's, it, there are partial truths there. Like Christ said, suffer the little children to come unto me. I mean, he's kind, he's tender-hearted. He elevated the place of women in a first century context. Like all of this is absolutely true of Christ, right? But, but he's also the God that would say things like, I, if you refuse to let my son go, I will kill your son. Like Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father, and this is God speaking very clearly. And so I just want to encourage us, put that in our theological box. Um, I have the word wow, right? Wow, with an exclamation point, and then a box highlighted, right? Just just wow, like that's our God. Um, by application, um, yeah, it would be so stupid um, it would be so foolish to mess around with this God and not to take, not to take him so seriously. This is going to lead us like right into our, point, our, our next point. Um, but right before we get to point two, do you remember the verse in Galatians 6? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, this he will also reap. We believe that, right? Like that's New Testament doctrine. Yeah, so foolish to, to mess around with a holy God. First um, Corinthians 11, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. I mean, there's discipline for sin. God judges justified sinners from Genesis to Revelation. Um, yeah, don't mess around with this God. To be rebellious is so foolish. I was looking at this this morning and thinking, as a speaker, um, it would be uh, foolish of me to to talk to this audience like rebellion is not here. Like that would be foolish of me. Yeah, like I've, I've lived a life, um, man, I apologize to my parents numerous times. Before I bent my knee to, to the Lord Jesus, um, man, I was a bear, right? And I was 15 years old. But I remember, like my dad requested, Scott, I'd like you to come home for half of the dinners for our family. That's a pretty reasonable request. That's a pretty meager standard, isn't it? Like I was running all over the place. I had my own truck, right? Football was the center of my life. I had my own social group. Scott, I'd like you to come home for half of suppers with our family. What did I say? No. What did my dad say? What if I take your truck away? What did I say? Go for it. You want to know why? Because in my sinful, rebellious little heart, I knew he wouldn't do it. Yeah, I was a bear. <laughs> oh, I would have been brutal if I had not, uh, if the goodness of God had not granted me repentance. Yeah, little will that would not yield, right? Just a sinful, stubborn little heart. Yeah, it, it'd be really, I think, just just uh, foolish of me to not recognize that rebellion is a very real issue in this circle. And I want to use the word of God just to highlight um, the way of the transgressor is so hard. And um, we must take a holy God seriously. And he's perfect, he's loving, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he brings beauty out of ashes, he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. All of that is so true. But just remember, the, the way of the transgressor is so hard. Like, just repent today. Just repent today. <laughs> like, however you're being rebellious, in your actions, in your heart, like, just go to the Lord and say, okay, I recognize in your presence that that is totally stupid. 
and I'm done with it, right? That's what I did when I was 15. It was the most miserable time in my Christian life. And, and I just came back to God and I said, I'm a follower of Christ. This is ridiculous. I'm going to follow you with my life. And I confessed to God. And the scripture doesn't say you have to do this, but I went home and I wept and I confessed everything to my dad too because I had dishonored my father. And so I just, I just wanted to. It wasn't because the scripture forced me to. I just wanted to. And, and I repented. And the joy and the blessing that he brings you into um, yeah, in his presence is fullness of joy. Like we rob ourselves when we don't take the holiness of God seriously. So I just want to bid you, please repent. I mean, yeah, let the word of God just highlight to you the holiness of God, the seriousness with which he takes sin, um, disobedience. Yeah, in fact, okay, let's let, let's let that take us into point two because this is even going to elevate how seriously we should take this God. So point two in my outline is that God is holy and to be feared. God is holy and to be feared. Verse 24, verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Who are we talking about? There's lots of hymns in that verse. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill Moses. Wow, that's shocking. Didn't you just call Moses? <laughs> Didn't you just promise Moses victory? And now you're trying to kill him? This seems schizophrenic. Like if you don't, if you don't understand right, the grand picture of what God is doing, Right, that God is holy and to be feared. There was, there was a discrepancy in Moses' life that needed to be dealt with on the way to his calling. Right? So between the actual call of God and him arriving at his destination, there was something that God knew had to be dealt with in the life of Moses. So he's loving Moses. Yeah, this is such, this is, I hope everybody gets this. Um, as we mature in our Christian life, we learn that the disciplinary hand of God is our friend. Yeah, we learn that when we feel the stab of, of, right, he disciplines those whom he loves. When we feel the stab of conviction of the Holy Spirit and you feel the shame of failure, like we learn, oh, this is the loving hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who said, I've begun a good work in you and I will complete it. He's wanting to set me free from something and so I don't only feel the shame of my failure. I don't only feel the stab of conviction, but I can, I can, I've come by grace to see the hand of, of a loving God who is sanctifying me and setting me free from, from sin that I maybe didn't even recognize. That's what you see in the text. right? So it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill Moses. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, so he let him go. That's God let Moses go. He had him. And then now that there's been a conformity to God's standard, he releases him, right? He let him go. Verse 26, then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So now let's, let's take a, a minute here to talk about this. If you're taking notes, uh, please jot down this phrase. The living God takes obedience seriously. 
And let's put it in its context. Moses was leaving everything to follow Christ. Like, wouldn't you think, like from our perspective, wouldn't you think, man, God, like if you're honestly kind of reasoning this through with God, like wouldn't you be a little bit tempted to say, uh, take it easy. And, and I mean this reverently. Yeah, and I mean that. Like, I mean it reverently. Like, like he's left everything to follow you. He didn't even want to go. And like, you made him go. And now you have, like a lot of commentary, uh, commentators will, will presuppose here that Moses had a horrible illness. Um, and that's very possible according to the text. But, but whatever is happening, it's clear that they knew that God had him. Right, Whatever it was, God sought to kill him. So his life was in jeopardy because of a lack of conformity to God's standards in his family. Moses was the leader of his family. He was accountable to God for the conformity of his family to the standard of God. He had one son that was not circumcised. God obviously in the story takes that very seriously. Seriously enough that he would take his chosen instrument and he would have him, right? Seek to kill him. Like he took it so seriously. You must be brought in conformity to my will. So when you leave the cave, um, boy, that's not, it's not the time just to pat yourself on the back. And like the journey doesn't end when you leave the cave. The journey almost begins when you leave the cave. Yeah. God is holy and to be feared. Now, we can learn so much from these couple verses. Um, application letter A. It appears from the story that Zipporah objects. I think that this is pretty safe ground. right? It appears from the story that Zipporah objects. So Moses, like he was a Hebrew, right? Moses um, came from a different background than his wife did. Like different perspectives. She objected, right, to this. Maybe that's what caused Moses' compromise. Like, who knows? The story doesn't have that many details. But Moses is required to obey in the story, even if his wife objected. It's significant. Of course, we're looking to God for equally yoked couples moving forward under God's banner. Yeah, but it, it is significant. Moses still needs to obey God. Um, by the way, more commonly, it's women that long for obedience. It's women that long for fruitful lives for God and the men the men struggle to come along like you see that you typically like even in youth conferences you see more girls that are zealous for God than you see young men that are zealous for God like more frequently that's the case first Peter 3 1 through 7 actually deals with that issue like what if the husband won't submit to God like more frequently that's what that's what you see but here like you've got a, a wife that's objecting and then, and then Moses hasn't led his family in conformity to God's standard. And so God is dealing with that in the text. Application letter B, he's already obeying by going to Egypt, but we must obey all. We must obey all. God's holiness is infinite. Another application here. Um, none of us want to do this, but when it comes to obedience to the living God, um, you must be willing to stand on your own. Yeah. In fact, I would even go one step further. If you're not willing to stand on your own in obedience to God, then that will be a snare that the devil can use to trip you up. 
Application letter C, I know I'm giving you a lot. The character of God has not changed. Application letter C, the character of God has not changed. So God is holy and to be feared. You can go if you want. Um, this is so important. I want to underline this with New Testament doctrine. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Now I'm going to read this, of course, to us. So don't feel like you have to race there. But Second Corinthians chapter 6 um, says this. I will dwell in them. This is God speaking to Corinthian Christians. right? He's, there's a lack of intimacy between the Christians and, and Jehovah, right? God, the biblical God. And so he says, I want to dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate. That's a great way of saying be holy. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. That's, that's moral holiness. That's the first thing we think of when we start talking about holiness is not touching that which is unclean. That's moral holiness. But, but God, by the Holy Spirit, help us to get what I'm about to say. If we study holiness in the Scripture, and if we really understand God's perspective of holiness, holiness is relational before it's moral. And we see that in this text. I will dwell in them, that's relationship, and walk among them, that's relationship. I will be their God and they shall be my people, that's relationship. Come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. That's moral holiness. I will receive you. That's relational holiness. I will be a father to you. That's relationship. You shall be my sons and daughters. That's relationship. Therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 7, 1. This is an incredibly high standard. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you're taking notes, boy, please write down that phrase. It's straight out of the word of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, our purposes, like our time constraints this morning, don't allow us to launch into a deep discussion of what that means. Like, like the, the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. What on earth does that mean? Like our time constraints this morning. I'm not going to go into all that. My suggestion is very simple. Write it in your notes and then pray it. God understands what it means. And now I know we need to understand too. Like pursue understanding what it means for sure. I'm just saying that's beyond what we can do this morning. But let's pray it. I want this to be true in my life. I want my relationship with you, my walk with you, to be everything that you want it to be with me. I want everything you have for me. I want nothing that you don't have for me. I choose you over everything. All I care about is you. Forgive me for every time I've touched unclean things in the past. Please, by grace, teach me to walk with you and to touch no unclean thing. I want to be sanctified from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what I'm suggesting. And then Jesus Christ, who is holy and who loves you more than you love yourself, will meet you in that place and he will start to sanctify you and lead you on more and more and more and more and more. And he'll teach you, right? He'll teach you what this looks like in your life. He'll, he'll lead you. He who began a good work will complete it. So God is holy and to be feared. Okay, point number three in our outline. God is faithful and to be trusted. 
Moses is going to learn this. God is faithful and to be trusted. Okay, Exodus chapter 5, verse number 1 through 8. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. So what I want you to notice is that Moses obeys. Like if you're taking notice, or if you're taking notes, uh, Moses obeys. Now let's think about this just for a second. Biblically speaking, doesn't obedience bring blessing? Like I, I love, I, I find it like a life guiding principle. Like the the verses in Deuteronomy: "Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the curse if you disobey and turn aside from the way I command you today." Right, obedience brings blessing, sin brings a curse. But we're going to take another step of maturity. Like if we notice this, yes, that's true. Obedience brings blessing, sin brings a curse. That's absolutely true. The way the transgressor is hard, his commandments are not burdensome. Old Testament says it, New Testament says it. That's absolutely true. But what we're going to notice here is that as we're on the path of obeying God, um, frequently things get worse before they get better. And we don't always understand what that path of obeying God will look like. So here, Moses goes and he does what the living God says. And, and things get worse. Yeah, in fact, look at verse 20. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses obeys God. Things get worse. So yes, again, if you're taking notes, I would put it this way. Obedience brings blessing, dot, 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 in God's perfect time. And we just have to stick with the Lord. Like, keep believing. Keep following. Moses, in verse 22, Moses returns to the Lord and says, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you even sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. I've always chuckled. Ever since I saw that, that verse in the word of God, at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I know the context, like I know it's not that funny. And yet you see, you see Moses, like, like you can basically hear him saying, like, I didn't want this job. Um, I told the Lord I couldn't do it. <laughs> um, 
I, w- I didn't love the desert, but I had grown after 14,600 days to be content. It lacked excitement, but also people didn't want to kill me when I was on the back of the desert. Um, I did my best. Now I'm being blamed by the people and rejected by the person that you guaranteed me victory in front of. You have not saved your people at all. You gave me an assurance and it did not come to pass. This is so important, right? As we go forward from Yosemite this year, young people, as you go forward for an entire generation, it is desperately important that you hold on to your shield of faith. I believe God. I believe His promises. It does not matter to me what I am seeing today because I believe God. I believe His Word. I believe His heart. I believe that He will not fail nor be discouraged. I believe he, that the Jerichos of our day are going to fall. Right? He is going to accomplish the victories of our day because New Testament doctrine says that He desires that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. And that He is totally committed to glorifying His name. No, we don't know exactly what that will look like. And we don't claim to, and we don't need to. But we believe in God. Oh, this is fundamental, foundational, essential for moving forward in the next, in the next generation. Yeah. Things frequently get worse before they get better. Um, criticism from the pharaohs of the world, that hurts. Um, criticism from the, the Hebrews of the world, criticism from God's people, that hurts more. Um, it's part of the journey. Uh, being misunderstood. Yeah, again, remember Acts chapter 7, speaking of Moses, like he thought that they would understand that God meant to deliver them by his hand. Yeah, it's not, not an easy journey. Um, yeah, but this is so instructive. Yeah. Okay, how does the Lord respond? And this is what we'll end with today. How does the Lord respond? In, in chapter 6, I love this. I looked at this this morning. Um, he says this, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now, right, it's all about timing. Like Moses, we haven't gotten there yet. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you guys do whatever you want with your Bibles. But in my Bible, I have highlighted I will, right? I will. When a perfect, infinitely powerful God who has never lost a battle or made a mistake or forgotten something in all of human history, when he says, I will, that is crazy significant. And so he says, I will. And then go down to verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will. I have that highlighted. Bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from the, you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Yeah, um, I, know, I know we moved through it fairly quickly, and so I, unless you're super smart, like way smarter than me, you wouldn't catch like how many there were. But, but get, anybody want to guess how many there were? It's rhetorical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, why is that significant, Caleb? Yeah, eight in the scripture is the number of new beginnings. Yeah, by the way, um, this is a season 
in North American history of new beginnings. Yeah. Oh, it's such a delight. This is such an amazing generation to be a part of. God sovereignly put every person that's listening to this message, God, and we could go look at this in the scripture, God sovereignly put you in this generation that you might seek him, right? You were put in this generation on purpose. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's perfectly committed to empowering you and using you if you will only submit to him and let him lead you every step of the way. Oh, this is such a good generation. So eight times he says, I will, right? What we're seeing in the scripture is it's a time of new beginnings. What I'm living is that this is a season of new beginnings. Yeah, in Manitoba, 30 people saved and baptized two years ago. 60 people saved and baptized last year. They're praying and working toward 100 this year. Um, Yeah, yeah, this is a season of new beginnings. Praise God. Yeah, so I love that. So the Lord says, I I will. In other words, I have this perfectly under control. My faithfulness will outlast this trial. Keep looking ahead. Don't get your eyes on the circumstances. Don't go back to the Moses of Egypt that looks this way and that way. Right? Like now you're in the battle. Like you became great. You became nothing. I've taught you every step of the way. Now you're in the battle of your lifetime. Don't revert back to the Moses of Egypt. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your confidence in me. I have this perfectly under control. So Moses gets to know the Lord. If we're wise, then we'll get to know the Lord too. Uh, God rules in the kingdoms of men. We go forward that way. God is holy and to be feared. So we let him have his way in our life. Uh, yeah, his light shines on our ugliness. And yes, that's a miserable That's a miserable thing, right? But then we recognize the hand of Jesus Christ. He's bringing me out of that which is killing me. Like sin is a punishment for sin. He's bringing me out of the punishment that I have been choosing. He's setting, he's sanctifying me. And then number three, God is is faithful and to be trusted. Let's pray. Father, I just want to commit it to you. Um, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and shape us after thy will while we are waited, yielded, and still. Um, I beg, I beg, I beg in the name of Jesus Christ that you would raise up specifically from this conference this week that you would raise up New Testament good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Uh, To quote you, Lord Jesus, I pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would raise up workers for the harvest. I pray that you would ruin them for anything except your best in their life. I pray that they would become bored with that which previously fascinated them and that you would stamp eternity on their eyeballs and that they would be consumed by the love of God and the mission of God and that they could not fathom doing anything else with their life but knowing God and making him known and making his name great wherever you lead them to. Father, please work among us. Yeah, it's one thing for a for a man made of dust to stand in front of a crowd and talk. It's another thing for the spirit of the living God to move among the people of God. The Holy Spirit can do more in a half an hour than a million fervent Christians can do in a lifetime of fervent, uh, powerless work. And so we call on you. We need you, right? Lord, ask and you will receive. Um, Yeah, I believe you. Lord, I believe you for all your will today. We seek you in this moment. We knock through our prayers on the door of heaven.
You're seated there, Lord Jesus, on a throne of grace. Your word in Hebrews tells us to come with freedom of speech into your presence. And so as simply as I can possibly say it, as reverently as I can possibly say it, as humbly as I am capable of saying it, we come by faith all the way to the throne of grace in the heavens today through our prayers. And we ask that you would be completely unhindered in this circle. Lord, when we walked in, you were hindered in countless ways. But we pray in this moment that you will be unhindered. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power. And so we remember that you're a powerful God. You are a worthy God. You are a God that wants to be known. And if we're smart, then we will know you. And we will order our lives accordingly. Please, have your way today. Start with me. Yeah, but Lord, I love these people. And you love them infinitely more than me. So don't end with me. I just pray for all of us together. Yeah, have your way in our lives. Thank you for the older generation that has faithfully walked with God and served God. Thank you for the example that they set. Now I pray on their behalf um, that the next generation would go further than what we've ever gone. Yeah, please lead them on, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, amen.